from Turkmenistan. It's the 5,000-year-old pyramid at the end of the world. And now our contestant, the two-minute time lord himself from this week in time travel, Chip Southerth. Hey, 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 welcome, welcome to our show. Are you ready to play the pyramid, Chip? Absolutely. I don't know. I was just thinking of that $25,000 pyramid. It's it's apt. It's very apt. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think of you and Doctor Who and parodies, and then that happens. the Doctor Who Flashcast. <laughs> Chip Sutter, things get silly when you're here. Hi, Chip. Hi, Jason. Um, are you ready to play the pyramid? No, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Um, a, a Dalek, a Cyberman, a Centauran. Um, Doctor Who Monsters. Yeah! Yay! Things you might find uh, in a Doctor Who episode. So, Pyramid at the End of the World. Peter Harness and Stephen Moffat. Co-byline. Usually means a lot of where does writing, one where does one end and the other begin? Hmm. I don't know. This one felt pretty darn moffity to super moffity. Yeah, I I get the feeling. It's funny because the next one, next week's episode is single credited to Toby Whitehouse. So I wonder if it's just. I mean, we'll don't know when everybody will be pro- professional and no one will talk. I wonder whether. Uh, Stephen Moffat felt like he needed to rewrite the script or whether there were series arc changes that happened that led to a more broad rewrite than was initially thought. Um, My money is on the latter. And the reason for that is that really fascinating Radio Times interview with uh, Moffat after Extremis. Yeah. And where he says that he went with the pre with the previous and with Jamie Matheson's previous uh, script, and Matheson had the Doctor's sight being restored at the end of the episode, and he's like, "No, this would be much more interesting if he stays blind." Um, so my theory is that this episode was rewritten in part to really, really make hay. I, I bet you that Peter Harness took his first run at the script. And the doctor's blindness was nowhere in it. Sure. Yeah, which means there would need to be another solution to the problem at the end. Also, the prominence of the these monks in the middle of this season, I think we're only sure that they're in the next episode. But I have this sneaking suspicion that they are important for the entire story arc of the rest of the season. And that's the kind of reason why the showrunner might have to do some work on the script. If he feels like this is, he's got to put in a lot of elements that are going to carry over for the rest of it. So it is a dual byline. I was a little worried about it. I ended up, um, I, I had trepidation going into this episode and I ended up liking it. I didn't like it as much as I liked extremists last week, but I did like it. I've got some issues with it. Um, I don't know if you want to, reveal up front sort of your feelings i mean we're we're literally for people who don't know one of the points of this flashcast is they're generally recorded essentially immediately upon watching the episode and that's what's happened with me and chip so we're still processing i think we're going to work through our feelings maybe here but what are you feeling right now 
I'm really darn glad that I've got to talk about this again for This Week in Time Travel yes. in a couple of days. I was going to mention because... we should plug This Week in Time Travel on this very network. People should listen to it. It's a whole show every week with you and Alyssa talking about Doctor Who. So Having got... loads, of, loads of fun with that. But yeah. um, I, this episode, I'm going to have to percolate on a bit. And uh, I think I may have I may come to some different conclusions on the next episode of This Week in Time Travel compared to what we're saying tonight, because this is this is a bit of a sprawling mess of an episode. And some of it is really cool and some of it feels and I need to work through it because it it's, it can be considered a lazy criticism, but it feels a little bit like stereotypical Moffat. I don't even um, the, I don't even take that as a criticism. Um, I think uh, we were talking before we got started about this a little bit um, with some other people we know who watched Doctor Who right after the episode aired, and somebody mentioned the the bag of tricks that a writer has and that how toward the end of russell t davis's era we all had learned what his bag of tricks was and some of that i I, you know i think is true with moffat i'm not sure i would even call it lazy i i feel like stephen moffat is trying as hard as he can but the fact is any writer put under this kind of duress to write all of these stories for Doctor Who and plot all of these storylines. Um, if you analyze them all closely, as we Doctor Who fans do, I feel like, yeah, you're going to learn very, not necessarily very quickly, but you're going to learn over the course of three or four, five years with his hand at, on the rudder that um, you get a sense of what his tricks are. And for me, you know, I also watched Coupling very carefully and so i came into his run on doctor who as a writer and then his run as an executive producer having seen so much of stephen moffat's work and i you know i haven't seen press gang and and chalk but just between coupling and his time on doctor who um i feel like i've got a pretty good sense of like his moves and it's a little bit like a like a basketball player like you you start to learn what their tendencies are and then he dribbles this way and then he goes that way and you know, I, so I think it's a fair point to make that um, that after all this time, if you watch Stephen Moffat's work closely, you can start to intuit what he's what what areas he's going to go in, and I mm-hmm. think he tries to fight it. I actually think he is fighting it and trying to surprise people. But the fact is, he does have a bag of tricks, and we know what they are at this point. <laughs> yeah, or or if not even a bag of tricks, just. The kind of writer he is, the yeah. kind of stories that interest him, and the kind of approach that, you know, um, a prototypical Stephen Moffat moment, for example, is the monks giving the doctor his sight back at the end of the episode. How did they do that? Yeah. No idea. There is no mechanism for that. They're just amazingly but magically powerful, I guess. They're yeah. just amazingly powerful. Yeah, there's a leap I, there's a leap of logic there of like, well, they can save the world, but they can also just grant the doctor his sight back. That seems right. weird. Right. But everybody I lives. If 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 Stephen Moffat <laughs> was on this Skype call right now, um I think two things. First, uh the level of uh four letter words would be significantly higher. Mm-hmm. And two, I think he would say that there are some laborious or uh, explanations that you really don't need 
it's just like the many uses of the sonic screwdriver in both uh russell t davis's and stephen moffat's era that sometimes you just need the narrative yeah. shortcut because the explanation is too boring to live i i think i mean it's a tough one right because i can i can say as i did last week actually about a couple of things i think it could be tossed off in a single line of dialogue but i also see the point that if you tossed off every single anticipated, but what about this question, you in one line of dialogue, you would still fill the episode with boring. Um, and, and so I get it. Like they could, he, the doctor could have said, come on, they, can, they don't even have the power to do that and have the monks say, our nano machines are certain to repair your eyes, doctor, or something like that. Does it matter? Would that made, have made the story better? Would that have, no, it probably would have interrupted it, but it still nags a little bit. It does. Um, there, there are a lot of Doctor Who shorthands here with the, uh, with the, uh, the soldiers. I, I felt the soldier stuff, the military stuff, was not as kind of incompetently handled as I've seen it on some previous occasions in Doctor Who. I felt like they were the point of the soldiers was ultimately, you know, mostly to provide this level of the great powers of Earth consenting to be mm-hmm. taken over, um, and and so we get to the le- the three sort of generals very quickly, uh, which was a better a better kind of conceit than some of the unit stuff that we've seen where there's various military things that are, uh, are not so great. Um, I'm also uh, I, just yeah. side note there. I'm also very curious as to why this was, these were UN soldiers rather than unit. Um, Cause <laughs> yeah. the, uh, early on in uh, when unit was first inter- reintroduced in the new series, uh, they were, I think they were briefly United Nations Intelligence Task Force. And then very quickly, uh, the UN, the real UN, actually objected. Uh, yeah. They didn't like the idea of their, uh, you know, black mil- paramilitary, black suited paramilitary organizations with machine guns, you know, going around on the United Nations trademark. So suddenly it became the Unified uh, Intelligence Task Force. But these are UN soldiers all over the place in this episode, and yet we have unit references later on. I just found that curious. Yeah, we get we get uh, the UN logos and colors, and we get a basically a lookalike kind of character for the Secretary General of the UN, like we got for the Pope last time. So, um, yeah, I I was thinking about that, and I don't know what the story is there about whether maybe BBC policy has changed uh, or the UN doesn't care. Um, I I get the UN's presence in the sense that, first off, it's a reference back to the doctors uh, being placed in a position of power, uh, which was not, as the president of the earth, which was, quite frankly, not a thing I ever wanted to see brought back to Doctor Who. I thought it was dumb at the time. I still do, but there it was, so they're in continuity with that. But Yay. Um, yeah, but I get the idea that there's sort of like a, a, a multinational peacekeeping force right around this pyramid at, because of the fear of the different countries going to war uh, in in this line, that they would that there's a UN force sort of between the three great armies that's that's meant to be a buffer zone I, I i sort of read that from what was going on and i was kind of okay with that but but you know you talk about policy changes do you remember how um and i think i mentioned this on a previous flashcast this year but uh how during the russell t davis era they were basically told don't use brand names 
don't ever use a brand name. And they would, in the commentary tracks on the DVDs, they would say, of course, you know, other search engines are available because they weren't supposed to mention it. And in this episode, we get not only a Google again, which we've gotten before, a Google it, get start Googling, but um, we get an Uber in here too. So at some point, the, I missed the, that one. The oh yeah, that's the um, that's when uh, Bill's date. Uh, is interrupted because their date is interrupted as in the simulation this time by the secretary general of the UN instead of by the Pope. And, uh, and she says, is it okay if I get an Uber? And I thought Ah. brands are available now (laughs) for BBC to use. So I don't know what the changes are there, but it's weird. Yeah. Um, there are little little bits like that all over this place, and I know that we're not exactly uh, honing in uh, with laser sharp precision on the pot, on the plot at this point. But I think that that's kind of indicative of this episode. It's it's part two of three. Stuff happens yeah. all over the well, place, um, and it's and- Act Two in the sense. I mean, I turned to Lauren with about thirty minutes gone by, maybe twenty five minutes gone by, and I said, "This isn't going to end well." Because it is. It's the it's the middle act. It's not going to end well because there's going to be right. part three next week. Um, right. It is. It um, is uh, interesting. Well, go ahead. You say I, I do have the plot laid out before me, and I've got some bullet points. But I'll go ahead and make your point before we start doing that. Just that. Uh, just that. The plot moves sort of from crisis to crisis and realization to realization um, and, you know, metaphor to metaphor with the the beer bottle and the reading glasses breaking and things like that. You know, Um, it's the middle part. It is the it is so much the middle part. It is the two towers. It is the Empire Empire Strikes Strikes Back. Back. There is no it actually, honestly, I feel like this really is the search for Spock. (laughs) you know and and that's not exactly a compliment but i loved it i actually loved extremists um this that was a that was a after five episodes of meat and potatoes doctor who uh we got the twists and turns and playfulness of a proper start to finish stephen moffat script and i was i was more than ready for that um this time around in part because it's part two of three um and it's just and possibly because it's uh, it's a rewrite it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as focused it feels more we gotta have this high we've gotta have these these series of high moments so let's uh, have the secretary general interrupt the date let's have the doctor be referred to as the president again let's have the secretary general get dissolved let's you know let's have the um Let's have the biological apocalypse brewing in the background. Um, and some of this is good and some of this is not so much, but it wasn't satisfying. Yeah, I, it worked. Obviously, it worked more for me, worked better for me than it did for you. I, I do. I didn't like it as much as extremists because I felt like that was a fairly straight line. And this, as you point out, is kind of all over the place. I, I, I if I get to the core of we may never get to the plot here, but I, I I'll, we'll, we'll we'll get it. We'll just mix it all up. We'll be all over the place too. That serves it right. Um, my core criticism of the way this episode is shaped, I'm not sure there's a solution for it, but I think it's a problem in the way that it's structured. Is as Lauren said to me after the episode, you kind of got to take it like a Columbo episode. Um, where, you know, in Columbo, the TV detective series from the 70s and 80s, um, 
they show you the murderer doing mm-hmm. the murder mm-hmm. at the beginning. And then you get to watch as everybody figures it out. And the pyramid at the end of the world is structured like that because of the, um, because of the law of economy of characters, right? We see scenes at the agrofuel operations lab. We see the we we see first see the woman coming out of her flat and the, the her glasses getting crushed and uh, over a conversation by the doctor about uh, about uh, the end of the world and the end of everybody's life and you have a series of lasts but we we see her in the in the fuel lab it becomes apparent for me it was with that scene I knew exactly what was going on in the episode. Mm-hmm. My my struggle with it, and, and I'm look, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the idea that we're going to lay out to you that what they think the plot of this episode is, what the main characters think is the plot of this episode, is not the episode. I'm not entirely convinced that the way the stuff at the pyramid is written is written cleverly enough that I'm entertained despite the fact that I know it's all a misdirection, if that makes sense. I feel like it's written as an on-the-numbers Doctor Who episode where the audience is waving their arms and saying, no, no, we know that this isn't it. And I guess that's my that, that's part of my frustration with the episode and why I don't um, completely embrace it is... Um, I, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I, I think I think if you're paying attention, it's really obvious. Like, why else would they be showing the people mixing the chemicals in the lab, and how we're made a big? It's made such a big deal about the breaking bottle and her broken glasses, and the fact that she can't punch in the codes, and that the guy who's hung over has to do it. It's like it's very clear there's going to be something terrible here, and we're headed for the end of the end of the world. It, it you know, ten minutes in, fifteen minutes in, I'm like, I know the plot of this story, and that's okay if the rest of the story can be entertaining with like Columbo with me knowing what's going to happen. And I'm not sure those scenes carry it off. Like they kind of wanted to walk the line of, well, maybe people know and maybe people don't, but it, it took a lot of shine off of those, those scenes when I knew that it was a misdirection from the very beginning, that the whole army thing was a, was a faint by the, uh, by the monks. Right. Um, and, and I did think that that was actually a clever con- conceit of the episode. Um, I did, I, I did like that sort of balance and the fact that, you know, it's, it's what the arrow is pointing away from. That, that, that core concept of the episode I really liked. I, I feel meh about the episode. I don't dislike the episode. Uh, there is only one new series episode of Doctor Who that I have ever gotten to the yelling i hate this episode point um and uh and maybe some one of these days if i resume the two minute time lord uh flash uh throwback reviews uh we'll get to that one Hmm. this was not that but yeah i don't know maybe maybe boss we should just walk through the plot a little bit maybe i'll figure this out okay all right, let's do that uh, really quickly. Uh, the uh, one of the things that I'd never seen on Doctor Who before that I actually really liked, and this is, I think, the hand of Stephen Moffat uh, playing with the format, is the previously on Doctor Who is intermixed with Bill telling the story to her date to Penny Penny about uh, about what happened in the previous episode, and so it's sort of previously now, previously now. I thought that was a very clever way of doing it because then mm-hmm. essentially you are, you know, you're not, it's not a previously on, nor is it a recapped in story. It's both simultaneously in the teaser. I think that was really fun and funny. I think that um, I didn't have a problem with the Bill and Penny stuff last episode, but I know some people did, um, especially that it's implied that it's a, uh, it's, 
not Bill's first date with a woman, but it's it's her date's first date with a woman, and they're interrupted by the Pope. And although that's a funny joke, uh, I think I think uh, a bunch of people had some some trouble with it too. I like the fact that we get to explore this relationship again and comment on the previous weeks. And yes, something does happen again, but um, it, it was good to see all that. Uh, I, I felt like that uh, those characters and that relationship got rounded out a lot by having a second week to address what happened last week. Yeah, I agree, and I hope to see. I hope to see Penny again. Uh, and I was one of those who felt a little funny about sort of Catholic guilt undertones on, on the Pope yeah. breaking up their date. But um, you follow that up with the Secretary General of the UN breaking up the date, and it becomes much less about much less about subtext, and it's more about the gag. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, some of that, um, the, one of the reasons the Pope thing didn't bother me as much is that I, uh, I, you know, having watched Coupling, that's that's a Stephen Moffat thing, right? Is like, what's the most possibly embarrassing thing that could possibly happen in the world? And and, and one of those things would be the Pope walks in on you during a date. And, and, you know, I'm sure he was thinking of it just from the gag perspective. But then they repeat the gag. But with the Secretary General, um, there's a Trump reference, which I thought was interesting. I don't like the president. He's orange. Um, but uh, no, no, we mean the president of Earth. They are looking for the doctor. And this is when Penny basically says, I'm going to get an Uber. I'm out of here. Another date ruined. Although at least she knows now that Bill was not kidding when she said her professor's an alien and this is the kind of life they uh they lead so maybe we will see her again she doesn't you know she's she's getting out of there because she doesn't want to be around the soldiers but maybe maybe there's some hope there um and the reason they're going is there's a pyramid in a disputed area the the armies of russia and china and the u.s are all nearby it wasn't there yesterday and it's magically appeared um and they want to get the doctor i'm unclear on the sequence because they take her to the plane um, and then we see the doctor playing guitar, and I think the idea is that meanwhile, while they they get her because she knows where the doctor is, but they get the TARDIS and and bring it to the plane. So I'm not really quite sure. It's a weird sequence of events of storytelling that it didn't it didn't quite follow for me that they're looking mm-hmm. for her, not not that they're getting her at the doctor's request, but they're looking for her because she knows where the doctor is. Except they also get the TARDIS and the doctor's in the TARDIS. So. I don't know. And they take her to the plane. Doesn't yeah. make sense to me. But, oh well. Um, it's funny. It is funny. And I, I really love... So, so I really love one of the things that Moffat has done repeatedly during the Peter Capaldi era that I truly love is the... Mostly it's the chalkboard. Sometimes the chalkboard is real and sometimes the chalkboard is in the doctor's mind where he's... He's processing things. And in this, you know, he's not writing on the chalkboard. He, chalkboard, he's playing guitar. But it's the same idea. It's the doctor alone. He says he's meditating. The doctor alone in the TARDIS thinking about things. And there's some narration by Peter Capaldi. And here it's, you know, at the end of your life, you experience a bunch of lasts. And then at the end of the world, there are a billion tiny moments of last moments. And this is happening while we also see the woman coming out of her flat and leaving her bag in the door and having somebody else come through the door and let the door sl- slam closed and break her glass. And um, that's all uh, a part of this story. And she works at the agrofuel operations lab and the guy is hung over and she's lost her reading glasses. And, and, you know, that's from the very beginning. This is the doctor musing about the end of the world. We know that's the name of the episode. And we've been introduced to this woman who is going to figure in the end of the world. This is your Columbo kind of 
kind of moment. And I like, mm-hmm. I just like that. I, I think it's a great use of Peter Capaldi and a great strange twist on the show's format to have these moments where the Doctor is almost introducing the episode, not quite Rod Serling-like, but not too far away. Mm-hmm. You know. Like parenthetical listen. note, yeah. parenthetical note, that character is a little person and there is absolutely nothing made of it. Nope. Not referenced. Not, not referenced. Yep. Just absolutely, absolutely fine. And that is very, that that's very well done. I think that, uh, I think that Doctor Who has been as a show, has been very self-conscious about representation this year, and yet they have managed to do that without being painful about it. They have not, they, they've not made overly earnest mistakes in doing that. It's just, uh, they're, they're just committing to representation. There's a lot of matter-of-factness going on. Uh, about mm-hmm. it which i which i appreciate my wife uh laughed because uh the same actress rachel denning was in uh was just in call the midwife which she watched like last week <laughs> and here she is again in in doctor who so um so she's gonna yeah she's gonna potentially end the world that's gonna happen uh yeah. we 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 flash then to the fictional uh country of Turmezistan which we've seen before it's uh, one of the lesser known stands because <laughs> it doesn't exist it's made up it's kind of like Turkmenistan but not it's an off off brand stan i guess um and this is where uh the doctor says there's the pyramid is sending us a message bring it and he's going to bring it and he's going to go talk to the monks and they explained their premise, which is, we will be invited, we only want to, uh, we, we will save this planet, but only when we are asked, and we will talk at the end of the Earth, which is the moment where I thought, okay, got it. I know what's happening. I know what this episode yeah. is. I know, you know, this is the Columbo, laying out the Columbo thing. It's like, you have enough information to have, uh, to know where this story is going to go. So, you're now you're just going to watch it happen. Yep. We never find out, either at this point or by the end of this episode, why the monks have this code or requirement. We don't know why it we, we don't yeah. know why it works other than they want it that way. There are there are clues, right? So I think this is not a whole so much as it is a something deferred for us realizing who they are and how they how their power works because at one point uh to bill toward the end of the episode they refer to making a bond i believe and that that's the clue like in Mm. order you you must mean it it must be real uh love is consent um love you know love is truth you you know we must have that in order to make the bond or for the bond for the link that's it you must act you must rep- you represent the doctor you must act for help only then can the link be formed so that's your mm. clue that there's some there are yeah. rules here and i think we will learn them i hope we will learn them but we don't well yeah. and in the in the next time trailer uh for toby whithouse's episode we appear to see like the monks have infiltrated human history and things like that so that that could be it right right that's some, there's something there's something going on here uh that we'll that we'll get to but all we know now is that the monks have parked their 
their pyramid there. We configure it's a it's a feint. It it is a uh, it is just to distract people while the end of the world happens because they've run the simulations and they figure that this is the time for them to. Um, to be given power over the earth is in the face of this doomsday event that they can save people from. And so there they've landed their pyramid and they're going to, uh, they're going to wait until humanity begs to save them because they know that the end is coming. And then at that point we are going to watch. So they set a doomsday clock on everybody's phone. That's a doctor who thing that goes back to Russell T Davis, even where they somehow have the people have the power to set your analog watch to a time yeah great okay i you know how does that work i don't know it's doctor who i i just have to i just have to go on um and then so in here we get uh world war three basically we're against it great line we've seen them mix the the solution at the lab wrong so we know that that's going to continue to tick toward midnight the the um the doctor so this is interesting I, i wonder what you think about this this is the moment where the doctor says yeah Attack the pyramid. Do it. <laughs> you know, it's um, this season, the Doctor has, and, and Doctor Who, the show, has had uh, a much less a reflexively pacifistic organ, or, orientation. Um, the Doctor seems to think that uh, a show of strength may help in this situation simply because the aliens that arrived clearly came with ill intent. And... I think that that's justifiable. I think uh, his punching uh, the guy in thin ice was uh, justifiable, or at least thoroughly satisfying. Um, but it, I, I am noting that uh, I am noting that the doctor, the paradox of the doctor as warrior, is sort of being sort of resolved in the direction of. Yeah, the Doctor actually is a warrior. Mm. The Doctor actually does fight. We're getting some uh, Venusian Aikido, like, Pertwee kinds of stuff here. Um, and I'm and and I'm okay with that as long as it's relatively consistent, as long as we understand sort of why the Doctor goes in the direction that he does go in. And um, in this episode and every once in a while in the series, you know, the doctor's motivations seem more whimsical, which means not the, the the writer hasn't done a whole lot of work to explain them. So, yeah, the doctor, the president of the Earth says, yeah, why don't you guys mass your uh, forces and attack? And of course, budgetary, b- budgetary considerations mean that the massed attack is a single missile from a nuclear sub and a single bomber. bomber. And that's it. That's our, that's our grand that's our grand attack on the pyramid. Well, they're starting slow, I guess. It's like it's a pyramid. How much do, do they need to attack? They should that, that should be enough, right? I'm actually going to give a. I, I admit this is a, a head canonical kind of thing, but I'm going to say I think what the doctor's doing is recognizing that the real doomsday threat here is the great powers of the Earth not working together. World War Three, basically, we're against it, right? So mm-hmm. what he's saying is, work together. Coordinate your attacks. Work together against the common enemy. And I think that's what he's doing is, you know, yes, he is saying attack, and that shocks Bill. But I think the game he's playing is, as long as all the great powers are on the same side, Armageddon's not going to happen. 
I or think, at least we've got a chance. Yeah, that, I think that what he's doing, that's what he's doing is, if I can get everybody on the same side, because he goes and picks everybody up, right? And and it's the same message, which is, let's work together on this, because what they want to do, he thinks at this point, is cause World War Three. And since we're against that, we're going to have the powers of the world work together. And that is a doctorish thing for me. Plus, he is sort of testing what the powers of these aliens are, who he obviously doesn't recognize because he never refers to them as anything but the monks. And uh, and then we get a piece of dialogue when they go in and they're, they're told after the submarine and the airplane special effects, they're told they're ready to talk. Um, he says a very doctorish thing, which is every trap you walk into is an opportunity to learn about your enemy. And that goes for them walking into the pyramid, but really that goes for the doctor and the monks in general and the doctor in general, general. <laughs> that This is a philosophy of his that actually makes a lot of sense to me. That, yeah, walk into the trap. I'll learn a lot from it. They may, they may kill us, Bill says, and he says, you could say that about anything. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and that is, that is very doctorish. There are moments in this episode that are very doctorish, and then there are moments that are very Stephen Moffat doctorish. <laughs> that, co- that conversation is very doctorish. Um, the notion of a 5,000-year-old pyramid having just shown up overnight, that's very Stephen Moffat doctorish. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, he's had pyramids before, and Doctor Who's had pyramids before, too. But yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, we see inside the pyramid, we see the, uh, the like, light lighting uh, cables, like LED cables. Uh, and the Doctor mentions it's, it looks different from the outside. That's their simulation engine that they have. I thought that was fun to say, here it is. And they, in fact, use the simulation engine to show the people uh, from Earth and the Doctor that uh, this is what's going to happen. The Earth in a year, everything, all, you know, all life has been eradicated from the face of the Earth. But they still don't know why. And they're assuming it's World War Three. Um, and this is where we get the power must consent for this to happen. Power must consent to rule through fear is inefficient. Love is slavery. Fear is not consent. So basically what they're saying is for us to rule over you, we want you to love us. That's what's necessary. And then later we get the sense that only can, the link can only be formed by legitimately wanting somebody's help. Not because of fear, but because of love. Yeah. And when they have these initial conversations with the secretary general and with the generals, um, you know, when they insist that there must be love, you know, I'm watching this and I'm thinking that, okay, they want the they want the humans to profess their love for the monks and that will make it legitimate and their their surrender will be total. Um Bill doesn't love the monks in the end of the episode any more than uh, the others did. And so, so, but hey, she loves the doctor and she wants to help That's right. out of that love. Motivated and by love is really motivated what it Motivated by out. love. Yeah, motivated by love, which is good because, uh, I'm sorry, uh, consent from coercion is not consent. Yeah, well, that's, and, and I, I gotta think this is part of their game, right? Like, they do the consent, they get consent through coercion twice, and they, and they say, nope. That's not it. And I, I felt that, that that made them kind of effectively alien. Like, they know what they want, but we just don't understand them. And they're willing to wait until they get to the moment where, because, again, they don't cause the, 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 the crisis. 
They're not the cause. They, they're the solution. That's a what a way to invade a planet is to figure out when they're going to need help and then sit there and say, we're ready to help. Ask us. Right. But if you could have come in and benevolently intervened at any point, then you're just as bad. Yeah. So well, which the doctor uh, points out, right? He sort of dances around at one point. He does a little thing. Peter Capaldi does this little thing as the as the three generals are, are, are there. And he's like and he says something to the effect of, ah, but you're not just going to help. You want something in return, which is very much like I think harkens back to um, to extremists a little bit and where we get the when do you make these when when do you act like a good person? And they're yeah. they're in a position where they're not acting out of anything but self-interest. So they're not really being good. And yet this yeah. seems to be part of their code or a, a necessity of them to, you know, they don't want to they don't want to attack because that's too it's too difficult. It's not it's not efficient enough for them. It's yeah. it's weird. I like I like those ideas. They're big, big, weird, dark ideas. And I like that. I do, too. But I am enough of a sort of. uh awful moralist i guess that i would like to see in the next episode i would like to see it at least in part turn on the fact that you know this isn't actual consent Mm. and because because you know and humanity didn't really consent you're you're being humanity was manipulated into a place where they had no choice but it but to give consent um or that was the that or that was the intent um which you know Arguably, Bill did have a choice, and we'll get to that. But um, I want to see that explored a bit ne- next time. Right. Um, you know, and it's, again, I-, I feel like it's very clear where this story is going. That, of course, in the end, Bill is going to have to make the decision, and it's going to have to be about saving the doctor. Because that's that's where you get the, the asking for help out of love instead of asking for it out of fear. Um, and it's it's un, it's unselfishly wanting to save someone else, not trying to save your own skin. Um, back at the back at the plant, um, though the doctor gives one of his uh, typical speeches, you you mentioned it. This is one of those. This planet's been doomed before. Guess what happened? Me, right? I saved the planet. We don't need you. I don't need you here. Get out of my way. I'm the saver of this planet. Go somewhere else. You picked the wrong planet, aliens, which they probably did. Let's face it. It's probably a mistake. Um, so the gas kills all plants in the in the lab. The the hungover dude has completely lost uh, his protocol. He leaves the airlock open. He isn't wearing his suit anymore. We exchange some grimaces at this because I I understand why it is necessary for the plot, and yet he, it, it seems, you know, saying that he's a bit hungover seems a little bit easy it, it, it is a sequence of events designed to end with uh with erica with a c yes. all by herself left alone there having having broken her glasses him having had the hangover him losing the program you know it, it's an inexorable march from point a to point b i just wanted him i wanted the dude to not like he just leaves he just walks out of the airlock and leaves it open i wanted him to you know fumble on the combination or or you know clumsily drop something that blocks the lock from doing or something but instead he's just like wandering around almost like a zombie and he's taking his suit off because it's uncomfortable or something like that when they're in this biohazard zone it's just like he he's so aggressively incompetent and i guess that 
what you could argue is, well, yes, this is what the simulation showed, that this is this is what it takes as somebody this bad, and it happened this one time, and here it is. But still, it, it felt uh, completely just kind of ridiculous that it, it, it i would rather it be a chain of small events which is how the story starts that lead to this inevitable destruction of the of life on earth and i don't think his uh bad suit uh, po- uh protocol and leaving the airlock door wide open is a complex chain of events that's mm-hmm. just once we got a hungover dude we are we are you know that's it he's going to behave badly all the way through i just i, I don't see it He's that he couldn't have gotten to work if he was feeling that bad anyway. Right. But again, 45 minute episode. Yeah, We've got to get, get there somehow. I get it. That's and that's a, and that's the, you know, and you sort of write yourself into a corner at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was one of those things that it was on my list. But um, the soldiers won't fight. Uh, but of course, we've learned and they figured out now it's not about them. You were never the problem. We just assumed it's a misdirection. So the doctor sonics up all the secrets of the planet and makes them available online so that everybody can sit down and Google. They're trying to do research and figure out what is going on. And the idea of this scene, I really like. I'm not sure I love the execution as much, but I do like the well, you idea. Don't think it's, you don't think it's compelling to look at Nardole at a computer, at a computer with a mouse? Click, clicky, clicky. And do they not have Do they not have all of the people, like all of the intelligence agencies all over the world? Do they not have an apparatus that could put in place of everybody working in every government to search for this? And and instead, it's like five people at terminals in uh, whatever Fakistan it is, Termezistan. Uh, uh, yeah. So, like, I, like, and again, this comes down to budget and it comes down to the speed of the plot. But uh, I rolled my eyes at that, even though I really like the idea of this, which is it's here. We need to solve it. I wish that sort of Magic Sonic plus a couple of people tapping at a computer were not the way that it gets to the point where, again, there's something that I really liked, which is when they finally get there, the the, the doctor has the idea that um, and meanwhile, the, they're going to like beg for Earth's life back at the pyramid. The doctor has the idea we can turn off all the cameras and then see which ones the monks turn back on because he figures they're being watched and we've seen that they're being watched in the, another Columbo kind of thing. We've set up that that's part of this equation. They find out which camera they've turned on at which point the doctor knows exactly where the doomsday scenario is going to happen and he goes there. I like that. I like that last part of it a whole lot. I actually found myself wishing that more of the story was about that and less about the misdirection with the military and the sub and stuff like that, because I thought it was, I think it's a really cool premise of just, we know the doomsday is going to happen today, but we don't know where, how do we figure that out? And I kind of almost wanted more of that, not more typing from Nardole, mind you, but more of the solving a mystery part of it that leads to this, this, uh, the solution to this episode. But it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's too it's too brief. I would have liked more of that. Yeah. Insufficiently, sprawlingly epic, I suspect. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, to get out of the plot and into the the, you know, the marketing, I guess we're going from Watsonian to Doyleist now. It's un- <laughs> uncomfortable. I suppose you could say the doctor does that in Extremis, right? He he goes from Watsonian to Doyleist when he comes out of the simulation. Anyway, um, this is. Uh, somebody at the BBC or internalized BBC logic inside the production staff saying, let's put in a submarine and an airplane to make it seem more epic. 
instead of just having it be, you know, explosions or something like that. And I would have traded that stuff. I would have, I definitely would have traded that for an episode that at its core, right in this part, was more about um, thinking through what could cause doomsday and maybe, you know, making some making some calls, visiting some people, you know, following some threads and leading to the realization that it was the set of biochemical labs that they could turn off the cameras and all of that. I, I just, that would have been... I really like that part, and I, 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 I would trade it for some of the less exciting stuff, but I could get why, if you're the BBC or you're Stephen Moffat, you're like, no, we need to have a big plane get hijacked by monks and a big nuclear sub get stuck in the ground in the middle of uh, Fakistan. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I, this is nitpicking, but... And then the plane gets set down, and the doctor and the crowd react and then the shot cuts back to the monks just standing outside right. side by side in front of the thing and that's no uh, i think they, that the they episode, somehow they got a, you missed you missed the shot where they pop open the hatch and slide down the slide and then wave at everybody and you're like we're okay <laughs> i didn't miss it but man did it look cheesy when you they cut away and then cut back and they're just standing stock still also, in if, front of the green screen if you've got a beam um, that controls the bomber and can land it right next to the pyramid why do you need to transport the people off of it Anyway, and they also have that shot, which which is the end. They're okay where the where the pilots come walking out of the of the pyramid too. It's like yeah, I don't know. I didn't like any it's, of that. It's it's, it's clumsy. It's uh, and to your point, I think you're right. I think the episode would have been stronger if it had been able to lean more in that investigation direction, uh, and if the doctor had and Bill and Nardole had been able to do more interesting stuff to get the doctor over there and right. the episode could have still ended in the same place right because what a great i i think it is and this is an episode like i said i liked it but i think this part of it like what a great mystery this is what a great uh tv plot synopsis this is which is the the core idea is the doctor knows the world is going to end today unless he saves it but he doesn't know where the threat is coming from and he thinks it's it's this uh military confrontation that's what all signs are pointing to and then he realizes that's not it and then he has to figure out what else could end the world what's the nature of doomsday like uh, this is all in that episode it's just handled so quickly and in my mind is like one of the most compelling things in the episode oh well oh well it's it's uh it's good I just wish it were great because I feel like it's such a great idea and it's just kind of not handled as well as it could have been. So, yep. oh, it's an easy mistake. Uh, the uh, this is my, the, the eyebrows. Uh, he goes there and Erica says, "Oh my god!" And he says, "Nah, no." But it's an easy mistake. It's the eyebrows. Uh, this is the doctor again. They misplaced a decimal point. Uh, he realizes that the, the, the this facility is going to vent in 20 minutes and let this uh, bacteria, genetically modified bacteria, out into the world. And that's going to cause the death of everybody, the eventual death of every everybody on Earth. Um, so he's going to blow it up. So that's Excellent the plan. solution, as usual. Blow it up. Solves a lot of problems. The doctor's going to blow it up. He's going to go in. There's a there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to be set in place. This is a bit like having um, the chamber that uh, people stand in both sides, and one of them is locked and one of them is not, and the radiation pours in, which is... I don't know which episode uh, you might be talking to, it, but I love that it one. It is the end of time part two, Chip, and uh, it's uh, it leads to some wonderful character interaction, but it's also very clear from the moment <laughs> it's introduced that it is a Rube Goldbergian device meant to get a certain outcome, and here we 
we've got a, a similar yeah. thing, which is like Nardole breathes in some gas, so he can't dri- drive the TARDIS, so that can't save the Doctor, and the Doctor has to go in and set the bomb, but then he's stuck on the inside, but there's a lock, but he can't see it because he's blind, and it's a little spinner lock like you have on your luggage, and so he can't get out. Because it wouldn't be a number pad. He'd know how to do the number mm-hmm. pad. It's a spinner mm-hmm. lock, which is, I like the irony of that, right? That is the yeah, Doctor's yeah. lies coming to get him. I think that I think that scene is really great. It, it's engineered to be there so clearly, but I, I, I think it's great that in the end, all of his lying um, is the thing that's going to doom him. Right. Um, and uh, stepping back for just a second, the last two episodes, uh, Stephen Moffat has been masterful at uh, orchestrating the doctor's use of the sonic sunglasses as a substitute for vision, which gets the character through helps the character walk through and do all the things that you need the doctor to do but runs into hiccups along the way that are very very plausible this isn't just a one-to-one replacement for matt murdoch you know um right so this is real so this is really clever and you have those moments where uh the uh, the doctor is presented with a tablet with the picture of the pyramid on it and he can't see it. And, you know, he's just been compensating perfectly well up until this point. You know, it's really well thought out. Yeah, I like it. It's the it's the not a perfect replacement. And so he can he, he it's just enough to get by and just enough to fool Bill with help with help from Nardole. But it's not perfect. It was never perfect. He's had these lapses. And now here's one that'll kill him. Yeah, it's a good it's good build up. Right. Like that's that's what having a showrunner plot where he's going and know that this is going to be a moment and lead you to it where it's playing fair. Like we have seen that this has been an issue before and it's been funny or it's been a close call and now it's doom. Mm-hmm. So in another episode, the solution would have been erica finding some way to to change places let's let's do let's let's lean into that end of time um parallel there and erica sacrifices herself and changes the combination for the doctor the doctor gets out and she dies in the end um that's not the story that we get instead um the instead the doctor is to the point where he's just accepted that he's not going to make it out of this one and he tells bill and that's a mistake because you know what bill's going to bill bill is going to save the doctor and she is going to and she is going to consent and if the if the if the aliens will save the doctor's vision and save the doctor's life um she'll give up the earth to the aliens yeah, it's interesting. I wonder what the consideration was in the minds of Stephen Moffat and Peter Harness, uh, some combination thereof, about what exactly the mechanism of Bill saving the Doctor was going to be. Whether it was... Because there are options here. In the end, we get this somewhat weird, just make him be able to see again magically thing. But they had they had choices, right? They one choice could have been Bill asks them to save the world from the the bacteria, so that she can you know tell the doctor or that she can have them turn off the bomb. Uh, another is that the bomb could go off with the doctor not telling her, and then she uh, tries to reach the doctor and he's unresponsive because he's been blown up, and then have her beg them to save the doctor. 
But instead, it's this interesting middle ground, which is, look, if you can make him not blind, he can save himself. And then I'll give you the, the earth and we don't need to have the you don't need to do anything more because he saved he saved the earth. And maybe who knows? Maybe they saw this all along. Maybe this was their how they thought it was going to go down. I don't know. But uh, because it does work in the end. And so there's that question. Is this how the simulation ran? Is this did they know that this is the way it was going to be? Um, but it's an interesting choice to make that be Bill's choice. And she makes yeah. it. And, and it's very clear that that's what it's going to be. That's I would say that's a quintessentially Doctor Who moment, which is in the end, the thing that happens is is somebody being human and caring about somebody else and even in this case she's willing to sacrifice the world to save the person who saves the world yeah and that's the moment that sort of makes me pause and i think it's i think that it is a good moment and it is a believable moment it is true to bill's character of course she would do this i have been trained by every previous new series companion to expect that the new series that the companion is going to be more doctorish Mm -hmm. a a little a little bigger than life a little more heroic we got that from we got that from rose in spades right from the beginning we got that from martha from donna from amy from clara it's bill's turn and bill is every woman and she is emotionally connected to the doctor and she is not a big damn hero and i'm sitting here agreeing with the doctor as she is deciding to put me and everybody else on the planet uh through uh slavery or whatever under the monk's thumb just because she loves this one guy and you do get this you do get this line that she delivers towards the end about you'd better you'd better save us um you better save us from these guys i'm just now giving us over to because because you're worth it it's that that piece doesn't sit that well with me and i think it's just because i think it's just because my mind's been too my mind has been too highly trained magic thighs <laughs> um i've been ex- i've been conditioned to expect the doctor's companions to be Bigger and bolder and, you know, I mean, Martha was going to Martha was going to do the Osterhagen key thing, um, you know, right. the things like things like that. Um, <laughs> what episode was yeah. that in, Chip? Uh, no, um, yeah. <laughs> let's not, <laughs> not talk about it. Not, not saying that that was the greatest part. But anyway, my but yeah, uh, Bill is every person and this is the most every person that she could be. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you to a certain extent. She's she's the student. Right. And and we've been she's learning. We've been shown that again and again. This is a a teacher student relationship here and she is learning and she values I could I could argue that part of this is selfishness, right? That she values the doctor and is not willing to let him go and is willing to save his life even if it means sacrificing the earth. I could also argue that she's making a very cold calculated risk which is I'd rather have the savior of the earth alive and the earth under whatever spell these aliens are going to cast on it than have the doctor dead and the aliens and their pyramids still sitting here waiting to take us over. 
that she's right. that that it's a logical decision on her part because however bad the aliens say it's going to be surely the doctor will save the day if we have him around and so she chooses to keep him around yeah that requires a little bit of head canon uh, the the room for the interpretation is there, but the script and Pearl Mackey's performance don't, you know, they're they're not explicit on this point. Well, it's I mean, she makes the decision, and she doesn't want the doctor to die. And beyond that, we're left with the decision of like what went through her head when she made that decision. What 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 were the reasons? And that that I guess that's my argument is is it purely just out of love for the doctor, and she can't bear to see him die, no matter the consequences? I think that's the straightest read of the script. But I, you could throw it in there. I feel like that that she's decided that the world is always better with the doctor in it, and and that. They can do their worst because the doctor will save them in the end. I think there's I think that I could make the argument that that's hinted at in the script at the very least. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know. It is an interesting decision. The, The episode, I mean, the episode backs her into it where it's like literally the doctor is going to die or and presumably regenerate, but is not going to be Peter Capaldi anymore if she if she doesn't save him. So she has to save and, him. And and anybody else in the room has just been dissolved. So it's it's right. down to her. And everybody else she, has said Amy, yes. She's Amy she is Amy Pond negotiating with the Sir Lurians. All right, sure. Um it, it's yeah. This is this is where we are is you have to make this choice. I love So again, what I love about this is I love how weird the monks are and how weird this choice is. Like, no no, you have to mean it. Like, it's very, it actually reminds me of Buffy a little bit, not only because their makeup kind of reminds me of some sort of demon from Buffy more than it does an alien from Doctor Who. They're very weird. But it also, in the sense that in Buffy and a lot of other magic and fantasy kind of stories, your intent, you know, you've got to make a a wish and it's got to be true. You've got to be, in your heart, you have to believe it. And um, this is that sort of thing, even though we're in a science fictional premise, what these weird monks want you to do is truly mean it and then once you make a promise on on your heart as you know and truly mean it then you they give um you are given uh they are given power over you i guess and i like i like how strange it is yeah these are the most emotionally manipulative villains in doctor who history and, and and so counter to your typical Doctor Who villain of I'm going to take over the world. My ships are in orbit. Ha ha. I have a whole plan. I'll destroy you all. And their plan is no, no, you will you will let us in because we can save you and you'll and you'll welcome us and you'll thank us. And we don't need to. It's too inefficient to conquer when we can just come in at the right moment and you'll let us in. And that's super yeah. weird and creepy and insidious and brilliant. And which is why we have the whole simulation thing is set up is like, how did they know this exact moment? It's like they figured it out. They they solved the problem of how to take over the Earth. And, you know, I, I can only assume that there will be a resolution at some point that is that they they made a, a mistake and the mistake is going to be presumably doctor related or bill related some some way that they interacted with them that they didn't understand or they didn't see and that's yet to come but yeah the the emotional invasion is way creepier and i think more interesting than your standard you know marching in bunch of people in suits invasion that mm-hmm. we see in doctor who all the time yeah, it was kind of funny after Extremis, uh, people were noticing that uh, the monks 
communicate by opening their mouth and just standing there. Uh, and people started uh, drawing connections between them and the Mondasian Cybermen. Uh, and two things happened in this episode that I think uh, put that uh, bit of fan speculation out to pasture. Uh, thing one is that it's all about emotional manipulation. And thing two is that the the mouth movements of the actors are not quite as on the nose as they were last time around. Mm. Almost as though Moffat looked at the dailies and said, hmm, next time around, let's get some distance between them and the Cybermen, okay? Um, I'm still gonna, I, I'm still gonna hold out a little bit of hope that this is all weirdly connected to Mondas and the Cybermen, only because it's close enough that i really want it to be but i think you're right it's harder and harder now you know i'm that that dream is hanging on by a thread it's harder and harder <laughs> to imagine the the a direct connection well i will throw you one more lifeline which is the next time trailer wherein we have missy all over the place and we know this is not a spoiler this is bbc marketing that uh, missy is going to be in the final couple of episodes yeah. as will be the mondasian cybermen so as tom baker said cliche alert who knows the um yeah the structure of this season i i, I was looking it up before we started is really weird because what we have is by all accounts a three-part story here with Extremis, the Pyramid at the End of the World, and then next week's episode. Then there is a single episode directed by the same director. It's shot in the same block as next week's episode. That is the Mark Gatiss uh, Ice Warriors episode, which by all accounts seems to be unrelated. And then we get the um, the finale. Uh, that's weird. That's That's like... So, so that I would say that is the, just the structure of it is an argument against the monks being related to what happens at the end of the season, only because why would you take a week off to do Ice Warriors? And then why because would you, Mark Gatiss really wanted to do an Ice Warriors yeah, but story? Could you have slotted that earlier in the season, or maybe slotted a, an earlier episode a little later to give it a little more space between the kind of mid-season arc and the end-season capper? I don't know. It's weird. There's enough out there for the conspiracy theories to continue to exist, which which I like. Um, I, I my my updated Mondas conspiracy theory because originally I was on board with the unattributed conspiracy theory about uh, about uh, Bill being from Mondas and not Earth, but that's not right. Uh, I, I did hear somebody last week speculate that maybe in a 21st century understanding of Doctor Who, Mondas is running in a simulation, like the simulations from last week's episode again i can't really make that work i can't connect those dots but i love the creativity of doctor who fans who are who are are committing to a conspiracy theory i love it i love the idea that we're, we're going to explain the cybermen in a totally different way now and we're gonna we're gonna get that simulation into the mix let's bring it in it's kind of delightful we have gone from doctor who has no canon to God help us. Everything must be canon. It must all fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of the fun because you get to really weird places when you try to connect those dots. But sometimes the dots do not connect. That's just the truth of it. I, yeah. I wouldn't put anything past Stephen Moffat. Nobody, nobody likes picking up bits of canon and tying them in knots like Stephen Moffat. He loves it. But is that how, he, is that how he's going to go out? I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I'm enjoying <laughs> this arc. I like how it's weirdly shaped. I like how the first episode is actually a, a dramatic download of information about a threat for the next episode. And now we've got this episode, which is, this is very Stephen Moffat-y too, where you have a three-parter that doesn't directly flow, it seems, but instead is sort of like they're all kind of adjacent, but you you can't quite see the space between them like you can in a just kind of a one picks up right after the other one leaves off kind of way. That's very Moffaty. Um, I'm, you know, in the end, the third episode tells the tale because that's going to ca- put a capper on it. But I, I enjoy how the monks are a true threat because they know so much about us and about how the world works and how they are, they are able to be this emotionally manipulative and they know our weak points. And that's all really interesting. I, I think in in a show that has not always created monsters that uh, that impressed that have impressed me because a lot of them are literally like what's the thing you were scared of when you were a kid it's that <laughs> this is not like that these guys are really weird and interesting and different and I like that about them yeah on balance I think I, on balance I think this was an okay episode um there it's got a lot to recommend it it's got a lot that just feels messy and and derivative or at least you know just leaning into the house style that Stephen moffat has created over the last few years um but it's 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 the middle part of a trilogy it's all sometimes it's always going to be that way and the trailer for next time looks kind of interesting it looks kind of interesting i agree and i you know i liked this episode but didn't love it um i have issues as as i've i've put out here i but i i am i am kind of intrigued by where they're going and um when your complaint about an episode is that you wish there was a little bit less of column a and a little bit more of column b it does mean that you really liked column b and there are things in this episode that i i like a whole lot and some things i could have done with less of um i do wonder yes how much of that is this is doctor who on a saturday night after the fa cup we need to have some planes and subs and things and how much of it is um you know script from writer a rewritten by showrunner b and a little bit messy because of that that the seams showing there i don't know we may never know those details but there's things about it that feel weird but uh, yeah on balance i'm really liking how how ambitious this season is and how strange some of the the uh episodes make me feel like just putting me a little bit off off axis a little off kilter i like that i like not feeling like doctor who is taking me for granted as a viewer and that it's not taking itself for granted as a series that just needs to kind of replay the same feels as the last time i think that moffat if anything moffat is trying to do here he is trying to um keep it fresh on his way out the door instead of it feeling tired and sometimes mm-hmm. more successful than others i think but i think he's definitely trying to make the show not feel old and tired as he hands it off yeah which is a remarkable feat considering what he did with the first five episodes of this season yeah right yeah yeah so so this is my least favorite of the season but it's been a very good season and it's and and i didn't hate this one so um so yeah i'm 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 still enthusiastic about next week and um let's see where it goes well knock knock still is way out in the lean is my in the lead is my least favorite episode from this season but that's me knock knock's just knock knock is just ahead of this one but just a bit 
Well, Chip, thank you for playing the pyramid. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this rice aroni, the San Francisco treat lying around that I'm supposed to take home. Well, uh, you can take it and this turtle wax. They are lovely parting gifts for being part of the Doctor Who Flashcast. Chip Sutterth, thank you for being here. People should listen to this weekend time travel. The incomparable.com slash TWITT is one way to get it. People should subscribe. It's great. You're doing a great job. I'm really loving the podcast. People should listen. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for giving it a home. And we'll be back next week with more monks. More monks. Stay tuned for that. Until then, this has been Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Doctor Who Flashcast on the Incomparable. Doctor Who Flashcast. Doctor Who Flashcast.